Amen. Please remain standing for our, the reading of our scripture. Our scripture this morning comes out of, the, uh, out of the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. Tori is here to read our scripture for us this morning. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw behind them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. No, God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Many of us here today are old enough to remember Jimmy Carter. And you may even remember when Jimmy Carter was running for president. He was the governor of, of Georgia. Uh, and Jimmy Carter was a, he was a pretty unassuming kind of, a kind of guy. Even, even today, he is a pretty unassuming kind of guy. And, and even, even when he was running for president of the United States, he was very unassuming. He was just an ordinary, common, everyday kind of guy. And that's, kinda, that's the kind of president he made as well. Well, I, wrote a, I read a story about uh, one incident when he was running for president. He was at a, he was at a county fair, uh, and he had, he had already been a couple of places that morning, and he had, he had really, um, he'd given three or four speeches that morning, and, and uh, it came time for, for there to be a lunch line, and, and uh, uh, Jimmy Carter was one of the many politicians that were there, and um, they, the, there was a sign at the front of the line, and it said, uh, one, one, please, one piece of chicken. Uh, well, President Carter had worked up a, a really big appetite that day, and so he, uh, he, as, he, as he held his plate forward and ready, uh, ready to receive his one piece of chicken, he, he, asked, he asked the lady that was doling out the chicken, he said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am, I've been really, really busy today and did not have an opportunity to, uh, to, to get breakfast this morning. Can I have, can I have two pieces of chicken? And she looked at him and, he said, and she said, uh, didn't you see the sign? It says, one piece of chicken, sir. Well, he, he, he hated to do this, but he decided that he probably, it was time for him to use uh, the, uh, the, the strength of his name. And he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, don't you know who I am? She said, no. He said, well, I'm Jimmy Carter and, I, and I'm running for president and I would like two pieces of chicken. And she looked at him and he said, and she said, uh, well, I, I'm sorry, sir. Do you know who I am? He said, no. She said, I'm the chicken woman and you get one piece of chicken. <laughs> life sometimes, well, we don't always get what we want in life, do we? Sometimes we, we, we want something more than what, than, what life, than what life gives us. 
just a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was at a store and I saw a young mother with a, a couple of kids uh, riding around in her cart and it was full of groceries. And, but the youngest little boy was around three or so, little, little dark-headed little boy, and, and he looked like he was, he was all about uh, everything that you would expect a three-year-old boy to be about. And as they were getting ready to check out, uh, he had been, I'd, I'd, I'd seen him in a, another part of the store, and, and he, had been, he had been asking for a, a little toy. It really wasn't a whole lot, but it was just a little toy. And I could tell that, that this mom really probably didn't have enough money to go around, and he had been asking for this little toy, and she had told him no. Well, um, as they got up to check out, he was uh, still whining about about his, about his toy, and she kept telling him no and kept telling him no, and finally she said, um, I, I'm not going to get you this toy. You're, you're not going to get this toy. I mean, he was a very strong-willed little boy, and so he started, uh, he started crying, and then he started screaming, and then he started stomping his foot, and I couldn't believe what the mo- mother did. It's the only time I, I've ever seen this. She picked up that young boy, and she picked up her two other children. Her, she left her basket that was full there at the checkout line, and she left. She was, he was not going to get his way. We can probably all, I mean, I know I could, I could, relate, I could relate to the parent, but probably more so I could relate to the little boy. Because sometimes when I don't get my way, Sometimes I scream and I cry and I, and I, I stomp my feet and I, and I throw a fit. I, I, know, uh, I, I know pastors who, including myself just a little bit, who, who felt the call of God on their lives and they knew the direction that God wanted for their lives, but we went into the ministry kicking and screaming and clawing and throwing a fit. I've even, and by the way, it's not just preachers that do that. I've known, I've known, I've known parents that have done that. I've known teenagers that have done that as they are clashing with their parents and uh, they scream and throw a fit and cry and stomp their foot because they want what they want. And I've seen parents do the exact same thing with their teenagers, scream and cry. Maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm speaking of myself here just a little bit, screaming and crying and stomping our feet. I've seen folks that have had a call upon their lives and they know what God wants for their lives, but they scream and they stomp their foot and they throw a fit because it's not what they want out of their life, but they know it's what God wants out of their lives. You see, I believe, I believe that Christ understood that struggle. What it was, what it, what it was like for, for our desires to clash with God's desires for our lives. Christ knew what we were going through. God, Christ went through what we go through as well. Today we're, con- we're completing this sermon series dealing with these, with these, with these radical teachings of Jesus. In fact, there are th- these are things that it would have been way easier had Jesus just not said these things. And today we're, we're really, I think, coming to the climax and coming to the... To the I, I think probably the most difficult thing that Jesus says, that we want to censor him. We, we want to take, I mean, we, we gloss over these words every Sunday when we pray the Lord's Prayer. 
when we talk about thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We gloss right over that. But I think that this is one of the most dangerous prayers that we can pray. And when I say dangerous prayers, I mean this is the kind of prayer that shakes the very gates of hell. It's dangerous for the enemy. When we begin to pray, not my will, but, but thy will be done. But thy will be done. This, again, Jesus, Jesus knew what it was. Jesus knew what it was for, for his desires to clash with the very desires of God. This, our scripture today comes, I mean, we're, we're, most of us are very familiar with this passage of scripture. The story comes and after Jesus has had his last supper with his disciples on, on Thursday of Holy Week, he has just, I mean, he has just told them he, that he is about to lay down his life for them. He, he, has, he has shown them how to do that by uh, by washing their feet, by serving them, and, and to telling them that we have a new commandment now, a new commandment to love one another. And then he goes out to the garden, and he takes with him the 12 disciples, but then he takes the, his three core, really the inner circle of that, of, that, of that group, and he takes them even further in, into the garden of Gethsemane. Again, that's just, just across the Kidron Valley there, there was a garden up on a up on a hillside, and he asked them to, to pray and to watch and to wait because he was at his very hour of need. And so he went a little bit further ahead, and, and the scripture, or, or, as the, Luke's, gospel, Luke's gospel describes it, and, and he says it's as if, well, Jesus began to sweat as if it was, as if it was, if it was sweat of, of blood forming forming on his forehead. And his prayer first was this, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Jesus knew what laid ahead for him. Jesus knew that he was about, that he was about to be put on trial. Jesus knew that he was about to be beaten. Jesus knew that he was about to undergo the worst death that humankind, that any human could ever imagine for another human being. Again, typically it would take Someone 24 hours normally to die on a cross. It didn't take Jesus quite that long because he had been beaten so severely. He knew the kind of death that was... He, he knew what he was about ready to face. And he'd simply ask God, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But then he prayed that prayer again. That is one of the most dangerous prayers that we could ever pray. But Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, not my desires, Lord, but your desires take place in my life. See, friends, I, 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 think, I think for so often we have, we have censored this part of Jesus. We, I mean, we, we, we have this idea that, that life is, well, life is fun and it's easy and we just kind of do whatever comes natural and whatever comes easy for us. If it feels good, do it. That's what the world tells us, isn't it? And I'll tell you, so much of my life is spent that way. If it feels good, do it. Whatever comes easy, whatever comes natural, well, that's what you're supposed to be doing. But I think Jesus tells us and tries to teach us that there is a will of God in our lives. And oftentimes, those desires of God clash with our desires. Clash with our desires. 
So I want us to think here through, through, this, just, through this just a bit. What is, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? I'm, I'm asked that question often. What is the will of God? How, do, how can we determine what is the will of God? So, so we're going to look at a couple of different things. First, we're going to look at what is the will of God. And then second, we're going we're to look to see how, how can we discern what is the will of God. Is there a process? And I'm going to lead you through, a, I think, a real practical, practical process, a way that I have found uh, that I've been able to discern God's will more than, better than any other way in my life. So let's look at, let's, let's first look at what is the will of God. I, I, want us, I want us to first look at what is not the will of God. I believe that the will of God is not our destiny. You know, sometimes people will talk about a destiny. You have, we have one true destiny in your life. You have one true career, or you have, you have, you have, you have one spouse out there. You have, you have one destiny in your life. I don't, I don't think that as, as United Methodists, we would particularly look at it that way. I don't think that it's like, I, I don't think we would say it's exactly like a maze, that there is one path that we are to follow. That is, we have one destiny, and we must follow, we must follow that one destiny. I don't think that we would look at it like that. I don't think that we would look at it like that. We certainly would believe that we, that we have a purpose we have a purpose, but, but I don't think that we would go so far as to say that purpose, that overarching purpose of our lives is our one true destiny. I don't think we would go quite that far. So I don't think that the will of God can be talked about really kind of like our, our destiny. I also don't think, I do also don't think that, that the will of God is a, is a predefined or predestined detailed plan of our lives. I, I, don't, I don't think that's what the will of God is. I don't think that the will of God is a predestined, detailed plan of our lives. Some people believe that minute by minute, we are to be determining what, God, what God's plan is for our lives. And again, it's as if there's a maze that we've got to, we've got to follow exactly the, God's minute, detailed plan of our lives. I, I don't... I don't, think that that's, I don't think that's what we would understand as God's will at all. I, I relate it just, just a little bit like, um, you know, do you know the term helicopter parents? Do you, do you know that terminology, helicopter parents? Uh, uh, my generation is really probably the first generation of helicopter parents. And, and uh, I would say even more so the generation that follows me, but especially my generation. I remember growing up, uh, when I was growing up, I, um, my parents lived way out, uh, way out of town, and, and they didn't come to very many of my ball games when I was growing up. In fact, when I was 12 years old, uh, there were times that I drove our three-wheeler into town to go to baseball practice. I, I remember that. Well, now, I mean, when our kids were young, uh, 15 years ago, we were, we were looked down upon if we didn't stay, if we did, not just if we didn't take our kids to, to baseball practice, but if we didn't stay the entire time and hover around the field, we were looked down upon as parents. This is a generation of helicopter parents never, never allowing their, their children any kind of freedom. I was a dean at church camp for a number of years in our district church camp in my previous church. And um, we had a request one year for a parent to come and stay with their uh, junior high camper 
and stay in the cabin. They didn't want to help out in any way. They just simply wanted to come and stay. I have, I have some friends who are college professors. I know, I know some others who are, um, who, who are academic advisors, and one of the struggles that they are having today are parents who are coming and staying on campus with their, with their college-age children for, for their first week of school. Um, I know we, we shake our heads at it, but here's what I found. Here's what I found is that those, those children who are raised like that are, are never able to make decisions on their own. They're never able to make decisions on their own. So when they, get into, when they get into later elementary, they don't know exactly what decision to make because their parents aren't there to make that decision for them. And so when they're faced with difficult, search, uh, difficult situations and, and difficult decisions, well, they'll just choose the easiest path. I mean, those of you who are educators, I know that you're shaking your head. I, I see some of you shaking your head. You, you, I mean, we recognize that these, that, that these children that have, that have had helicopter parents, they don't have any kind of decision-making skill. And here's what I think. I think for those who believe that God is like a helicopter parent and God is leading us and guiding us in every single decision of our lives, I think those are the kinds of folks that they really feel like they don't have any decisions to make and they can't make any decisions. I, 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 just, I can't buy in buy into this understanding that God's will is a detailed plan laid out for our lives every, every day of our lives, every hour of our lives, minute by minute, second by second detailed plan of our lives. I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't think that's what it's meant when we talk about the, the will of God. I also don't think that the will of God is an explanation for tragedies that occur. And I've heard this and I've seen it up close. I performed well over 100, 100 uh, funerals in my time as a pastor, 21 years as a pastor. I've, I think it's close to 150 funerals now that I've performed over the last 21 years. And the things that I've heard folks say to people who have lost a loved one are, is astounding. I've heard, I've heard statements like, well, you know, it was, it was God's will. It, was, it must have been God's will for that loved one to die in that car crash. It must have been God's will for that child to die. Oh, God, so you see, God needed a little angel in heaven. I don't think it is God's will for people to die tragically. In fact, I don't believe it's God's ultimate will that anyone should die. That wasn't the original plan. The original plan was that we live for eternity. We find it there in the first and second chapters of, of the book of Genesis. But then, then sin entered into the world, into the, into the world and, and subverted the very will of God. I don't believe that God's will can ever be used, can ever be used as a reason for tragedies that occur. So, so, what, is, so what is the will of God? God's will simply is this. God's desire for us to live holy, faithful, and surrendered lives. That's God's will. I mean, so if, if, if you come and ask me, Pastor, do you know what God's plan is for my life? I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> God's plan for your life is to live a 
holy, faithful, and surrendered life. I, I, I can't get, I'm not going to get any more detail than that, by the way. I, I can't tell you whether it's God's will for you to buy that house. I can't tell you whether it's God's will for your life for you to quit your job and to, and to, and to move somewhere else. I can't tell you. I, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. But I do know that God's desire in your life and in my life and in the life of every Christian and in the life of every person around the world, God's desire and God's will for us is for us to live holy, faithful, and surrendered lives. For us to live holy lives following His commands, following His law in our lives, following the, the law of love. That's God's will for our lives. God's will for our lives is for us to live lives of faith, surrendered to Him, fully surrendered to Him. That's God's will for your life and for my life. So that's God's will. So how, uh, how then do we discern God's specific will in our lives? I, I think there's a general will of God, and this is what the, God's general will is. But then we are confronted with decisions in our life. What in the world do I do? I, again, I've had, all, I've had people all, I mean, throughout my entire ministry, and I made some mistakes early on in my ministry, and I started giving advice. And that's not the best thing, because I don't know. I don't know what God's will is for your life. I don't know what, God, how God, what, what decision God is, is calling you to make in your life. But I have found that there is a process that has been so very helpful for me to determine and to discern God's will. So first and foremost, it begins with prayer. And in fact, I would even encourage you to write this down. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to put, put this on social media this afternoon so you can have it. First, first, we're to begin with prayer. Today is the day of Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday in which we commemorate and we remember and we celebrate that day in which the very Spirit of God was so poured out upon those early disciples that their lives were changed. I, now, now, hear me. I'm not discounting the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but it wasn't the death and the resurrection of Jesus that changed the lives of the disciples. Peter was still huddled in a room, scared to death before the day of Pentecost. He believed, possibly, that Christ had been resurrected from the dead, but he was still scared, scared for his life. But then the power of the Holy Spirit came upon those early disciples, and, and, you, and you see in the, in the second book of Acts, or the, the second chapter of Acts, Peter is very different than he was in the first chapter of Acts. Because the power of the Holy Spirit had come upon him. When we pray, we are opening ourselves up to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So when we are confronted with a decision, when we're confronted with a decision and, we have no, and, and we're trying to discern what is God's will in our lives, whether it's a simple decision or whether it's a complex decision, whether it's a decision about uh, selling and buying a house or whether it's about buying a new car or changing jobs or moving locations or, what, or, or even, even selecting a spouse. Young adults, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. You've heard me say it before. Things, things happen when we pray that don't happen when we don't pray. Begin with prayer. Ask that God would begin to reveal to you what his desire is for your life. Begin, begin with prayer. 
and then determine the best options. Whether I'm, and, 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 and you need to consult some folks when you're doing this. Determine the best options. Whether it's, uh, you, may de- you may need to consult a banker. <laughs> you may need to consult a financial advisor. You probably need to consult a, a strong Christian friend that's going to tell you the truth and be willing to speak the truth in love to you. But then come up with some different options. Come up, determine the best options. God gave us a mind for a reason. He didn't ask us to check our brain in at the door whenever we come, up, come to our faith. No, God's given us a brain and a mind for us to use. So come up and, and develop a, a, a best, set of, uh, best set of options and then, and then narrow those options down to the, what you discern and what maybe your, some Christian friends and some advisors have said uh, to try to determine what you think is the best option. Come down, come, come down to one option and then develop a yes or no question for God. God, I'm discerning that you are telling me to sell my house and, and buy a smaller house. Please give me an answer, yes or no. Here, here's, here's the reason I think this is a very important step. Again, this is, this is a very practical very practical kind of thing. Here's why I think that this, this is important. What I have found is when I have a plethora of, uh, of different options, it's really hard for me to hear God's voice. It's really difficult for me to hear God's voice. I have found that, that, that I can hear God's voice better whenever I have a clear yes or a clear no. So ask God a yes or no question. And then when you hear the answer, or even before you hear the answer, wait patiently. This is where many of us fail. Many of us have, um, uh, God, I need this decision. I need this decision within the next hour. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you all are better than I am. Uh, I, I think that it's, it's not that God doesn't answer quickly, is that typically I don't hear quickly. <laughs> I'm hard of hearing oftentimes when it comes to God. And so we've got to patiently wait. And patiently wait. And patiently wait. There have been major decisions in my life that I have literally waited for years to discern where God is leading me for God's desires in my life, for God's ultimate will in my life. I've waited, I've waited for years to determine where God is leading me. We must be willing to be patient whenever we are listening for God. Again, I, I think oftentimes that God does answer, but for me, so often I am so emotionally involved in the decision, oftentimes the reason those the reason I have to wait for years before I clearly hear is because God's desire is clashing with my desires. And I just simply don't want to hear that answer. And so I keep, I keep asking, Lord, give me an answer. All the while, he's giving me the answer that I don't want to hear. <laughs> oh, Lord, give me the answer. And then the final step is then faithfully act according to God's will. Just faithfully act. Faithfully act. God's desires for Jesus were not, were not Jesus' desires. 
Lord, let this cup pass from me. Christ did not want to have to suffer. He didn't want to have to go through what he knew he was getting ready to go through. But his ultimate prayer was simply, but not my will, but thy will be done. Listen to what the scripture says. Then he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. I'd never noticed that. I think the two are connected. Whenever we pray, thy will be done. Whenever we are committing our lives to doing the will of God, God then will come and strengthen us to follow and to do His will. We're not in this thing on our own. We're not on our own. There is no way, no how, that just, just by my internal fortitude, I can ever follow the will of God. But God strengthens me to follow His will. So this morning, I don't know what kind of decision that you're facing. Some of you may indeed be facing some of those big life decisions. Those big life decisions about where you're going to live or what your next job is going to be or when are you going to retire or, or even who am I going to choose for, for a spouse. Some of those real big decisions. What I do know is this. God has a will for your life. God has some desires for your life. Ultimately, God desires that you live faithfully and wholly, completely surrendered to Him. But I also believe that God wants to share with you His desire. God wants to lead you and to guide you. So again, whether it's a big decision, I think even small decisions as well, God wants to lead us and guide us. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we, we thank you for your will. We thank you that, you that you have not forgotten us, that you have not left us on our own, all alone, to make decisions by ourselves. But instead, God, you want to lead us and guide us. So often, so often we just simply live lives. We live our own lives according to our own whims and wishes. But today... As we come forward for Holy Communion today, we surrender our will to your will. Right now, here in our hearts, wherever we are, we pray this prayer. Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. God, come and strengthen us. Give us courage. Empower us to follow your will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.